Well, the last few weeks we've started this um, new series into the book of Galatians after finishing in Ephesians. And again, I want to just lay again that foundation that Ephesians was showing us who we are in Christ Jesus, our value, and then how we live out Jesus in our lives. Do you remember this? Okay, and now we're stepping into Galatians where the key tone here is that we are to not live by the law but by grace. Okay, we are not to put ourselves back into slavery. Do you remember this from the first week? And so Paul is addressing um, the churches of Galatia because there are Christians there called Judaizers that are trying to get those who have been free in Christ Jesus to still observe some of the Jewish laws. And Paul is going, no. No, our freedom is in Christ Jesus. We have freedom from the burden of the law. We are free in Christ Jesus. And so last week, Mark talked about what it means to live out our story, what it means to live out who we are, because Paul shares his story. This is where he came from, and now this is who he is in Jesus. And we all have that story. It looks differently, but we have that story. And God is continually wanting us to live out that story and continue to speak to us and, and, and build into us his heart. And then last week, Mark laid a great foundation of where we're going. We are to be a what kind of culture? Who remembers this? Oh. Starts with a D. It's a big word. Wait, who said that? A discipleship culture. All right, if you didn't hear it last week, hear it now. God is calling us, every single one of you and myself, to be his disciples, which means when we are here together, what kind of culture do you think it's going to be? A discipleship culture, exactly. And so this morning we're going to, to explore chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and uh, Mark read some of that. And what we will see in verse 1 is that we see an example of discipleship live, right there. Paul comes, he says, 14 years later, he is now coming with Barnabas and Titus. Now, first, 14 years from when? Well, scholars kind of debate on this, but the consensus is that 14 years after his conversion, after he met Jesus, we have this scene. 14 years later, I went up back to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus also. So we see that he's discipling two guys, don't we? So if you don't think discipleship is important, if you don't get from Matthew 28 that it's not important enough, here you're going to see it throughout the rest of the gospel, throughout the rest of Scripture. And you'll even see discipleship everywhere you look. Who's been to a restaurant lately? Anybody? Come on. Yeah, there we go. What you will see is discipleship in action when you have someone that is learning to become a server. Because what do they have? They have an experienced one shadowing the one that's learning. You see that? Discipleship is key for how we function. And it's key for how we function as Christians. It's absolutely key. And so here it opens up. Paul is discipling these two guys. And he says, I went, I went in response to a revelation. So as we set up what we're going to talk about today, I want to hit a few points here. Paul is responding He's going to Jerusalem with these two guys in response to a revelation. Why is that important? Because he's showing obedience. 
Here's a guy, he didn't, we, we discovered in the first chapter, in the first few verses, this is a guy that didn't learn his stuff from Peter and John and James. He learned at the feet of Jesus. He learned straight from him. He said, this, this word I have, this gospel was taught not by man, but by God through revelation, by Jesus. And so here he comes again through revelation to be obedient into a pretty intimidating atmosphere, if you think about it, right? Because in the Christian world, you know, it's, it's early here. They've heard about these guys. They know John. They know Peter. They know James. Now, wouldn't you be a little intimidated if you, if you walked into that situation and hear these guys? And Paul, he goes to talk to these guys, and it says here in the Scriptures that he met with them, to basically get confirmation of the gospel he was teaching so it wasn't done in vain. Now, this does not mean he believed that what he was doing in vain, but if what he was saying was different than what that John and, and Peter were saying, that could divide the church. So he went out of revelation of God. God's saying this needs to be done and gets confirmation. He goes to get confirmation. Now, here's a guy that's been persecuting Christians, killing Christians, coming into uh, the guys, this group of guys that spent a great deal of time with Jesus in the flesh. Now, that would be really, really, really intimidating. It would, it would for me. So we set up this, um, this, this point where he's there with these guys. And now remember, in the first, in the first chapter there are Christians, there are Judaizers that are trying to trap these guys into um, putting themselves, what we would call, back into slavery, being part of the law again. And so Paul says, not even Titus, Titus, who's a Gentile, who's not circumcised, didn't fall for this. Because with the disciples with that they were with, John and Peter and James, who um, is what scholars believe were there, they didn't require that of them. And so they found that there was uh, a sense of affirmation, a sense of um, agreement on what the gospel is. And they didn't have Paul add anything to the gospel. So that's good news. So we find that yet not even Titus, who is with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because of false brothers, and we see this in verse 7 of chapter 1, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment. That's huge. Not even for a moment did they doubt. So even though they're coming for confirmation of the gospel that they're speaking, they didn't doubt it. They went out of obedience. Discipleship is about obedience. Okay? So that's key. And this is where we want to camp today, in verses 6 through 9. And I love this. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Now, when I read that, and we talked about this morning as a staff, doesn't that sound a little snarky? Right? It's a little cocky. Or a little, could be seen as overconfident. Now, you know, it's written words, so... We can interpret it a lot of different ways, can't we? Because we weren't there. We don't know the tone. But if you look at all of Paul's letters, this is a guy that doesn't hold back. He speaks his mind. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm not starstruck. 
Because I know who I am in Christ Jesus because a disciple understands who they are. They understand their value. And they are able to move out of revelation because they know who they are. And so Paul, he's not impressed or overly impressed because he knows who he is. His value doesn't come from these guys, whether they agree with him or not, because he knows that everything that was given to him was given from Jesus. Now, how many of you get starstruck? Be honest. Be honest. And it could be, you know, every star is different in your own context, right? Um, it doesn't have to be a celebrity. It could be someone that you hold in high esteem. I am the worst. I tell everyone I'm not starstruck, but that's a fib. <laughs> it, it's horrible. Um, I, I pretend, like if I see, if I see celebrities, because you know, I live in Southern California, so you see them. And I pretend it's no big deal, but inside I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I mean, I was in Atlanta last year with Mark, and we saw Charles Barkley. You know, there's durable. You know that guy? Durable. And I'm like, Mark, it's Charles Barkley. I think I just saw Charles Barkley. And he just passed us, and Mark just walks and goes, Charles. He just yells out, Charles, doesn't even look back. Of course, I'm looking back. And I'm like, is he going to wave? And he waves back. I'm like, Mark, he waved back, he waved back. I look dumb. <laughs> Mark, it was like no big deal. I mean, he didn't even like waste his time to look back. He just went, Charles, that's it. That's it. And I'm sitting there waiting on every moment to see what's going to happen. Well, a couple of years ago, um, I was in a tough, tough time in my life. One of those moments where relationships around you are tested so deeply um, and become so challenging that you don't know what to do. You know you're supposed to turn to Jesus, but you don't know how that looks. And um, I remember I was, I, was, I was sitting in my office, and I'm on the computer listening to music to try and inspire me or to speak to me or something. Um, does anyone process that way? Music speaks to you? Yep. And so I heard of this guy. I, you know, you go to one guy, and then you connect who they're related to as far as their style of music. And a guy I never heard of, and he was like 6'2", 6'3". He had this huge beard down to his, like, stomach. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy looks rough. And I was expecting, you know, when you look at someone and, and you haven't heard them speak, you expect, based off their appearance, them to sound a certain way? Well, this guy, I expect to be like, hey. You know, like that, and have this raspy voice. And his name's William Fitzsimmons, and he does this folk music. And he has the, one of the prettiest voices I've ever, see, ever heard, and so quiet. So you hear this big, burly man, he's like, hi. You know, it's like Michael Jackson kind of thing. And so I'm listening to his songs, and I'm like crying. I'm like alone in my office crying because the words were just hitting me. And the Lord said to me clearly, you're going to meet this guy. And this is an independent guy. No one's ever really heard of this guy. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. Because he only tours, like, in the East Coast. He's never over here. Well, a year later, he showed up. And Morgan was with me, a couple other guys with me. And we went to go. And I'm trying to play it all cool. Because this guy's stuff really helped me through some things. And so he said he wants to meet people after the, the concert. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to meet William Fitzsimmons, who no one has heard of. <laughs> and so I get up there, and I'm like, and I even told Morgan, I'm like, 
all right, just play cool. I'm going to play cool. I'm good. Right? It was something like that, right? I'm like, okay. So I go up to him, and I'm like, I've got the cool stance, you know, the hand in your back pocket. And nothing is coming out. He's just looking at me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, mm. and I'm just making these little grunts. And he's looking at me kind of, and his head tilts. And you know, once you get the head tilt, they're, they're making up all kinds of scenarios in their head of what's happening to you right now. They are judging you. And I, I proceeded to, to, to get the first words out of my mouth, and I'm like, hi. Now, I consider myself cool under pressure, but I broke. And all of a sudden, I just come spewing out my story, not letting this guy get a word in. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe what you did. And the Lord used you. And I get done, and he's just kind of like looking at me. And so after that experience, I was like, epic fail. For at least two months, I felt like the dumbest person on the planet. Right? You had that moment you've been looking forward to. You never thought would happen, and you blow it. Right? What was really cool is he actually contacted me. Because I had brought some of my students, and so he knew I was a youth pastor and this and that. And we actually talked back and forth, and he didn't think I was as crazy as I thought I was. He said I was crazy, but not as crazy. So, but you see what happens, what can happen when we put someone that God uses on a pedestal. I mean, we even see this in the scripture. Some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, right? We can lose sight. We can just get goo-goo-eyed. I mean, if you ever watched... um, on YouTube, the concerts of Michael Jackson, you would see girls in the front row crying. They'd had to be ushered out on, on um, what are they called, um, stretchers and all that kind of stuff because they were just crying and, and, and freaking out. Fortunately, I wasn't pulled out on a stretcher. But that, that can happen because we get so uh, put in a place of such awe when we see God do something through other people, and we forget that he also uses us to do some of those things, which Paul continues in in, in, in verses, um, excuse me, 7 through 9. He says, but the same God, he says, the same God that is in Peter is the same one in me. We just have different audiences. Peter is the Jews, and Paul has the Gentiles. But what he says is something so poignant that we need to know for today, especially uh, as those going for a discipleship culture, moving into one, is that we cannot compare what God is doing in us with what God is doing in someone else. Because what will happen is that jealousy, shame, regret, all of those things will build up and diminish and destroy everything we're trying to build. Through the Holy Spirit. I was listening to um, Christian radio this morning, and it was right in the middle of that sunset, and always on 109th, always, God says something to me, something. I don't know what it is. I call it the holy road. <laughs> but it's like, for some reason, he meets me there in a wonderful way. And he did it through Max Lucado. Is it Lucado or Lucado? I don't know. And so... Um, He was asked, what is your greatest challenge? Can you please be vulnerable with us? First off, they had to ask him to be vulnerable. 
Now take note of that. Because if we're not vulnerable, if we're not authentic, we're going to have a hard time growing. We really are going to have a challenge growing. And he said, sure. And this is what he says. He says, my greatest challenge in life is comparing myself to other pastors, to other writers, to other speakers. And he says, this is what he says. He says, it, it produces jealousy in my life. And then I begin to buy my own hype, and it becomes about me. Now, I'll tell you, you want to know who does some of the most comparison? Pastors. I can't, man. I've done it my whole life because I had a line of pastors in my family. And I'm like, and I would always go, and I would never go to the end of uh, the extreme of, oh, I'm better than them. I would go to the other extreme. I'm never going to be able to do that. But that's still sin because I'm comparing myself to something that God is, is doing in them and saying it's greater than what he's doing in me. Is that true? No. Because we are the body of Christ and we're to be equipped in the giftings and in the calling that he has for each and every one of us individually and corporately. And I was so afraid to step into that because I didn't think it would be good enough even though God was still using me. And I would go to conferences. I would go, man, I'll tell you the first time I ever uh, stepped into the ark, uh, the Alliance of Renewal Churches, um, we talked about that a little bit last week, a network um, that we have friends in. Sharon's part of that network. Man, I would, you want to talk about intimidated. Here are these people and these, you know, you're just going, I'm never going to be able to do that. <laughs> and, and you just, and man, you want to talk about starstruck. I'm like, Mike Bradley's talking to me. Sharon Franta's in the front row. I mean, that was horrible for me. It was a big growth time for me, and I'm, I'm still growing in that. But I would compare myself all the time, and I would find jealousy. I would find regret. I would find shame. I didn't do good enough. I didn't do this enough. And then I would feel shame because I'm comparing myself. And then I would just soak in my own shame. And I, I remember my grandmother said to me, she's very... Uh, she was here a couple of weeks ago for my ordination. Some of you met her. She's a very direct woman. She doesn't mince words. And she says to me, right or, for right or wrong, she says to me, because I was telling her about my process of comparing myself. Because this passage wrecks me. It should wreck all of us because it really hits home. And I was telling her about how I compare myself, and she wouldn't even hear me. <laughs> because she knew the solution right away. Before I even tell her my process, before I even um, tell her what's going on so she can help me walk through it, she goes, Brennan, stop right there. It is a sin to compare God with God. And I just was like, um, can I finish talking? She goes, there's no need. It would be a waste of your breath. <laughs> okay, Grandma. <laughs> she can whoop me, so I'm done. So I said... Um, I said, well, let me think on that. Well, think fast because it's true. <laughs> and I found that. I found that the more I did that, the more I stepped away from my call when God was telling me to step into my call. And Paul refuses to do that. 
and he continues to make the case that he is a true apostle. See, the, the, the churches of Galatia are questioning whether or not he's a true apostle. And he says, I am a true apostle because, one, I didn't have to get any of the things that God poured in me through these people. It was from him directly. Not that God couldn't use those people. But he was saying, I went directly to the source. I went directly to the source. And I am not starstruck. I know who I am in Christ Jesus because I know who I was before him. And I don't like that guy. He's a horrible guy. That's what we, the, the passage said last week when Paul was talking about his past. I did terrible things, but by the grace, not by the law, but by the grace of Christ Jesus. I am free from that. I know who I am. And because I know who I am, I can step fully into my call and God is God, whether he's working in you or whether he's working in me. It's the same God working in both of us. So let's do it together. That's what he says. And guess what? The disciples agree. We acknowledge this in you. They offered the right hand of fellowship. It was almost a covenant of friendship saying, we agree. We are in this with you. You do this and we'll do that both for the kingdom because God is working in both of us. That's huge. So as we move into this discipleship culture, becoming what God has originally called us to be, there are going to be times you're going to question your position, what God has for you, because you're going to see other people doing things that you think are greater based on human eyes and human expectation. I used to think that, uh, especially with the guys in the ark, you have these guys that are like Fulbright scholars and go all over the world. If I'm not traveling, I'm not doing it right. If I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that right. But that was the enemy trying to get me out of position of what God wanted me to do and who he wanted me to be. And once I was able to come to grips with that and see the beauty in that, then I really felt like I stepped into his grace and was free. Because though he's talking about uh, here we hear circumcision being the thing that lures Christians back into slavery, into the law, but it's also the comparison. It's also saying, I'm not good enough. I need something more. I need something more than just Jesus. But the whole series we're doing is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. How many times in your day do you add something because you think, based off your human expectation, that it's needed to make life with God better? I used to think that if I didn't do devotions the right way, I wouldn't be who God wanted me to be. I felt if I added this or I added that, I would be better. Well, really, it's not about adding. It's about taking stuff off. Because I realized how much I was putting on my plate, thinking it was enhancing my relationship, when actually it was diminishing it. It was taking me out of position. The last thing the enemy wants is Jesus' disciples in position. That's the last thing. Because when we're in position and we are stepping into our call, when we are stepping in to who he has called us to be, we are dangerous. Do you understand that? It's not a Sunday sermon. This is truth. We are dangerous when we step into the call that God has for us in our lives and we use it together individually and corporately. We are the church. And so if you're here to be churched, you're in the wrong place. We're here to be the church, not to be churched. Not to just sit here and take it in and go, that was a good thought, or I didn't like that thought. We're here to be equipped and mobilized so that we can go out and make disciples. As we continue to step into this, I'm telling you right now, there will be challenges. 
And there will be temptation to compare ourselves. There will be temptation to get starstruck at what other churches are doing. Because pastors aren't the only people that, that compare themselves. Churches compare themselves to other churches. Why isn't Bridgewood doing what Eagle Brook's doing? Or why isn't Bridgewood doing Who cares? What is God doing here? Because it's the same God here that's over at Eagle Brook, that's over at this church, over that church, in order to make disciples so that we can transform this world into what God intended it to look like, and that's the kingdom of God. So we got to stop the comparison game and start stepping into what God's calling us to here. And it'll take sacrifice. Mark mentioned, we don't, you know, like with the school of ministry classes. Those aren't just classes. Those are opportunity to experience relationship and what Jesus is going to help transform us into disciples. And we're, we, we as pastors get so sensitive to not put stuff on the people's plates. But you know what? We can't, we can't do that anymore. We have to allow you to work out what God is doing in your life, what you have to say no to and what you have to say yes to to put you in the position God wants you in. And that's really hard. But that's what it's going to take to be a discipleship culture. How many of you are in? (laughs) Some are not sure because it's tough. It is tough. But that's why we have the body. It's not, the body is not here to tell you when you're wrong or to correct you, but to encourage you and walk alongside you. Correction happens, but that's God's stuff. We're here to encourage one another and walk alongside one another and discern with one another what he wants to do in us and through us. So I'm encouraged. The word here this morning is timely. I found myself even this week comparing myself. Do you know what? The God in me is the same God in Sharon, the same God in Mark, the same God in Morgan that is wanting to do a work in each and every one of us for his kingdom, for his purpose, not for ours. So that's where we're going. Are we clear on that? So next week when I say where we're going, you know where we're going, right? Where are we going? Thank you, those three people. Discipleship. That's where we're going. That's who God is shaping us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for you are good. And um, Lord, this is a tough road. It is a tough road. But you give us um, examples in your word that, that discipleship is absolutely key. It is absolutely key. So I pray, Lord, that we would do the first thing necessary in discipleship and we would abide in you. That we would go after you. That we would not walk outside of your presence, but continue to run into your presence. And Lord, there will be challenges, so give us courage, give us strength. Increase our discernment so that we can see where you are and where you are not. So Lord, we just pray that you would, uh, your grace would continue to pour out on us as we move closer and closer to knowing you better. So it's all about to know you. Not just know about you, but to truly know you and to share you with the world. That's what we want, Lord. So I pray in this time of offering and the time of communion we'll have, Lord, that you would just um, speak to our hearts, that we would trust you with everything. Everything. Because if we say we're yours, we have to be yours. So, Lord, we give you our finances, use them for your glory. We give you our relationships, use them for your glory. 
And we just pray, Lord, that you protect us as you continue to put us in position. And that we would press into the call that you have on our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.